It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom. Today on the Minnesota Football Party on Locked On Sports Minnesota, bad beats, butt punts, and pumpkin spice lattes, baby. I can't follow that, Sam. Come on. Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk. I'm going to tell you why Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer knew what they were doing all along. Sorry, I also can't follow what Sam did. Uh, this is Rita Sun, Pro Football Network. I might leave partway through to grab some snacks here at the airport. I don't know. I'm Luke Braun, Locked On Vikings. Honestly, Arif, considering the two takes we just heard, that's probably fair. Arif <laughs> is on his way to London. The crew is all here. The Vikings are winners. It's the Minnesota Football Party. Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. Plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Wow, what a football game yesterday. The Vikings win 28-24. We've got an hour of endless Vikings talk, breaking it down with your favorite local experts. My name's Sam Ekstrom of Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Luke Inman, at Luke underscore Spinman on Twitter, Superior Sports Talk. Arif Hassan of Pro Football Network. He is en route to London, calling in from an airport, an unnamed airport, not sure which one. Luke Braun, Lockdown Vikings. Lockdown Vikings postcast joins us as well. He's at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter. Arif, how's your situation right now? Are you facing like a six-hour flight, seven-hour flight? What What's going through your mind? Uh, well, I'm going to be trying to talk over a PA system, so that's part of it. I've got I've got a I've got a short flight followed by a seven-hour flight. So uh, I'm going to be flying to Boston before I fly out to. Uh, uh, to London proper, but right now I'm in, in JFK, which uh, of the two New York airports is one of them, so there you go. Just, just ask them to go turn it down. Uh, I'm sure they'd take that well. Go ahead. Get up there. <laughs> hey, we're oh, doing a yeah, podcast. Don't you know me? Don't you know who I am? Yeah, I've already been kicked out of three establishments before the show even started, so... <laughs> Getting uh, too rowdy. I guess that that's going to go poorly. Yeah, no, for sure. You know me. I'm wild. <laughs> Could we get an English accent before the end of the show? A British accent? Absolutely not. Not because it would be offensive to British people. I don't care about that. It would be offensive to everyone's personal sensibilities, and I do care about that. Uh, specifically, my brain. <laughs> Maybe that'll be Arif's loser punishment when he loses the gambling update. We'll have him do accents for an entire show. Have him do a, a full oh, show God. in an accent of our choosing. That sounds fun. Vikings 28, Lions 24. So much to break down. Uh, the Vikings had a really good win in week one, a really bad loss in week two, and this is somewhere in between. I don't think you really know how to feel about this when after three and a half quarters, uh, a pretty disappointing, uninspiring, almost dismal performance, and then they, they grasp victory from the claws of defeat. Luke Inman. Your first thoughts on kind of a bizarre game with a big finish and a K.J. Osborne game-winning TD. 
Yeah, obviously we're going to break it all down. Lots to get into games within the game, but this one feels like more of a game that maybe the Lions lost than the Vikings won. We'll break down all the Dan Campbell gambles, as you like to call it. Mm -hmm. um, certainly I thought that if you're going to commit to that approach, they had so much success until the very end, four of five going into that last fourth down decision to kick that field goal. Um, certainly that's something that the Lions fans are thinking about and pretty disgruntled about today. But lots of facets to get into in this one for sure. Who wears the hero hat, Arif? Like going away from this game, who do you bestow with sort of the, you know, the, the cape and the crown for rescuing the Vikings? Uh, you always seem to call me right when the PA system starts up. <laughs> I, I would say, I mean, it it is really difficult because it it like Inman's right, like that a lot in a lot of ways this is a game that the Lions lost rather than the one the Vikings won. But you know, obviously for uh, for the Vikings to be able to take advantage of an opportunity, an opportunity has to be opened up. That's what the Lions did. But someone has to take advantage of it. So I, I think the two best uh, you know candidates for wearing the cape are probably obviously Kirk Cousins who you know, ends up throwing the game-winning touchdown. And, and K.J. Osborne, who was targeted three times in that final touchdown drive, two of them for 28-yard uh, gains. And so uh, I think those two are probably the best candidates. Uh, it's really tough to give someone like Cousins the hero cape because he had played, uh, and I'm going to say uncharacteristically poorly, but he played remarkably poorly throughout the game. And so digging your own self out of the hole that you create is not, to me, the same thing as, as, as being a hero, Right. Um, so I guess, you know, push comes to shove, I'd probably give it to Osborne, but I do want to acknowledge, you know, for comeback from Cousins, comes back from a, 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 a two-score uh, lead uh, twice. Like, that's, that's not bad, but at the same time, like, a lot of the problems were, were created by him as well. I don't know if that you guys correct. all we were looking the press for conference. Ryan Wright. Ryan Wright was oh, the yeah. answer we were looking for. Stud. Funny funny Ryan Wright story. So Chris Thomason and I had a side bet before the game and I don't know where he came up with the number, but Chris Thomason set the over under at 44.8 net punt average for Ryan Wright. And I took the under and it ended up at 44.3 crazy good line by CT. He's, a, he's as good as Vegas. He's as good as Vegas. He should be a bookie. He's the house. He's the house. How do we he's know not he's not? Man. Do we have confirmation he's not? Do we know we what don't. Chris Thomason yeah, moonlight? Vegas has. just calls him up the you know right before you know they set the yeah. lines for the week and they ask him for each game what it should be and then he also goes through all the player props too. It's incredible. <laughs> um, I had a Kirk Cousins question. I'm guessing that you all, yeah. Well, I was in on the screen here. I was pre-writing the the youtube description yesterday for the postcast basically assuming the vikings would lose until they didn't um you guys probably watched the kirk cousins press conference like i did has kirk cousins seemed almost saddened after each of the vikings wins so far this year i know arif you were in the room with me um he's been like bummed out and especially yesterday i think he's acutely aware of how poorly he played before the end and i think it's a good thing that he understands that Luke Braun, like, would you say that that's the appropriate reaction that Kirk is pretty measured following that win? Yeah. And he even like called himself out. He said, Oh, you know, I should have got, uh, or I thought I had more distance on this one, but I overthrew it. Or I thought I had, the, he thought he had overthrown the final touchdown to KJ Osborne, which turned out to be pretty much perfect distance. 
Um, and he's like, yeah, so I got to work on that. And I, I thought he like called himself out on a lot of things. It's such a weird Kirk Cousins game to make heads or tails of because kind of whether you want to say, well, see, this is this proves why I was right and Kirk Cousins is good. See, he came back in the fourth quarter. He's not supposed to be able to do that. And you could just kind of point to that and ignore everything else. Or mm -hmm. you can say, yeah, but he was terrible for three and a half quarters and also prove that point. And if you're doing one or the other, you kind of all it gets you is you get to maybe prove your point in an argument at the bar. But if you want to actually make sense of this game, you kind of have to acknowledge, okay, it was like bad and then it was good. And that's what it was like calling it a medium game kind mm -hmm. of obfuscates like it was bad and it was inaccurate which is kind of weird like passes were coming out high on him a lot and then it was good and that's what the that you can't solve any further than that um but yeah Kirk Cousins was yeah he took ownership of that I thought fine I mean it is a step in the right direction Luke Inman that like Kirk is allowed to play a bad game and still save the day at the end. Like, think of all the games last year where Cooper Rush played a bad game, and then he goes and he wins it at the end, and he gets credit for that. Joe Burrow played a bad game against the Vikings, and he gets credit for a win. So, like, you are allowed to play a bad game and still rescue the team at the very end when it counts most. So there are positives to take out of this game for the quarterback. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot easier to go watch this film after a win, obviously, than it is a loss. Kind of going back to the uh, who gets the hero title question you asked uh, just previously. It's like, in no way am I comparing him to this man, so I don't want to hear this in my mentions. But when Tom Brady is averaging mundane for three and a half quarters and then takes his team on a long drive to win the game like we've seen seven million times, he almost always gets that hero title and all the credit. So, um, you know, it's hard not to give Kirk that hero title like Arif mentioned. K.J. Osborne certainly would be the non-quarterback that you would give that to. But, yeah, plenty of things to work on. I know we'll get into some more offensive discussion a little bit later, but I expect to see a little bit more pre-snap motion again, more window dressing, more creativity from this offense. I thought, once again, the offensive line was actually pretty solid. Yeah, he was pressured a few times for sure. There is those times like Philly looked a little panicky and, and uh, was inaccurate. But for the most part, um, I thought that offensive line held up. It's just the offense as a whole. And we kind of had this in the back of our minds going into the season. It may take a few weeks to get into rhythm here and figure out what this whole thing's going to look like. They're running the football pretty well. They did yesterday, average nearly five yards per carry. But they're having a hard time kind of cashing in on that and, you know, off those play actions and rollouts and things like that. But I'm much more confident in Kirk and the offense to turn things around right now than I am the defense. Let's just say that. Yeah, we, we got to talk defense. We got to talk about Dan Campbell's decision-making. We, we've also got a four-minute drill, Davin, Dalvin Cook injury, all that to discuss. A quick, quick reminder first, Locked On Sports Minnesota is available on Amazon Fire and Roku, the Locked On Sports Minnesota app. Make sure you check that out. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. We are free and available here on YouTube. Make sure to like, subscribe, and comment below with your thoughts on yesterday's 28-24 win. So the defense, fellas, um, allowing 24 points, not created equal. Um, the previous week against Philadelphia, they allowed 24. Felt like it was way more and should have been way more. And every stat sort of reflects that. Yesterday, allowing 24 felt about right with as well as they played on third down. Um, some big stops they came up with. It is 
though a very frustrating bend but not break variety. And Luke Braun, you've been especially critical on the way this defense has looked the past couple of weeks. Did you feel like there was improvement at all from Philly? Not m- maybe because like in a per drive sense, just because there were more possessions in this game than there were, there were in that game, which probably speaks to why it feels like the Philly game was so much worse. It felt like they were scoring every drive. And in this game, um, there were more drives, but the same amount of points. So sure. But that's the improvement marginal at, generously. <laughs> um, but it's still a broken defense because they aren't very good at zone pass offs and the communication and collaboration that that requires they just aren't good at it yet and that's just going to take time to be good at and i i went into the season saying i'm basically just going to be saying this for the first eight weeks yeah it's bad and the hope is that they can sort of gel a little bit more as the season goes on but that's not going to happen overnight and i think we just sort of live like this where you're just going to kind of have 14 point deficits all the time and you're just going to give up three scores in a row and that's the way the 2022 Vikings will be. Arif, did you see the missing poster that, that was outside the stadium last night on the way out? Daniil Hunter missing. Did you see that one? I thought Hunter played really well. I think that it, a, a lot of the time when we're looking at you know these uh, defensive linemen or pass rushers or whatever, very often um, we focus on tackles and sacks, which I, I understand. I mean, it's, it's sacks are how they make their money. But um, the Lions were under fast pressure. I mean, if you take a look at pressure rates between the two teams, you know, they were fairly similar. But the Vikings were one of the fastest to pressure uh, in opposing quarterback in week three. Jared Goff just got rid of the ball quickly, which, you know, credit to the Lions for designing an offense that allowed that to happen. Hunter was a big part of that solution. Now, obviously, Zedaria Smith ended up with more pressures than Daniil Hunter. But I think Hunter actually did a a good job. It's just we're not getting the sack numbers that we kind of hoped you know, this early in the season. And he doesn't strike me as the athlete he was two years ago, which, you know, that was a big part of his game. So, you know, maybe we're kind of missing the the Daniel Hunter we're used to seeing. But I thought he played well. It's just sometimes these things don't always show up, uh, you know, in the box score in the same way or on the highlight reel in the same way. But, like, at least one of, uh, you know, Zedaria Smith's big pressures quarterback hits was enabled by, you know, what Daniel Hunter was able to do in, uh, you know, pushing Goff around in the pocket, pushing Goff into somebody like Zedaria Smith. So I, I thought he played well. Obviously, he's not playing up to the expectations that people have for him. Uh, so that's a fair criticism. But um, I, I wouldn't say that he was absent. He just didn't show up in the box score. Yeah, yeah too, just to add on to that, next to yeah. Hunter, too. Sorry, just real quick. Zedarius, too, he had five quarterback pressures and two times on fourth down. I thought it was, he just couldn't get home, but really good reps. I mean, forcing Goff to get off his mark and slide around in the pocket, which credit to Goff, uh, escaping the rush a few times, especially on those critical fourth downs, feeling his way out of the pocket and extending those plays. Um, so, it, you know, they got some pressure. They just couldn't get home. And to Luke's point as well, he even mentioned it and called it out last week. These these Viking defenders in the secondary and linebackers having a hard time passing these guys off in that zone scheme. It's just going to take a while. I'm with Luke. It's just going to, it's going to take a while. And I think if they can't get pressure though, with that front four and get home, like we've seen the last two weeks, um, because remember in week one Packers 
go into the game, they're down two starting offensive linemen. Then during the game, they lose John Runyon. So they're down three offensive linemen. That's just, that's an anomaly. That's not going to happen every week. So um, I think this defense as a whole has been disappointing compared to our expectations going in. And I'm not saying they'll ever be a top, they may never be a top 10, top 12 defense this year, but they certainly can get better. Um, it's just Ed Donatel needs to start making those proper adjustments. Yeah, through two weeks. Yeah, and, I, and I just Mike, looked it up uh, real quick. I just looked it up. I didn't realize the PFF grades were out. Daniel Hunter was the highest graded uh, defender on the Vikings from PFF. So uh, oh, wow. I think mm. that he's, yeah, his hidden influence, I think, is significant, yeah. even if he ended up with yeah. what, like something like three tackles or something. My missing poster joke now sounds moronic. Um, what were the <laughs> blitz numbers, Arif? Because the blitz total was four against Green Bay, five against Philly. They're, they've not been blitzing. What was it yesterday? Do you have that handy? I don't. I know that the Vikings were kind of lower on uh, the blitz percentage. Um, it was something I was taking a look at over the course of the game. Um, but they were higher, I think, in blitz percentage than they, they typically are. I'll get you the blitz number in just a second. I'll probably interrupt one of the Lukes when we get to it. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll tap dance for you. Um, so in this marriage of rush and coverage, neither are particularly working right now. So I guess the question is, Luke Braun, like – which one needs to come around first to enable the other one to succeed? Uh, coverage has a lot more work to do. I, the pass rush is a lot of four-man rushes, and Zadarius Smith, I think, has had two very good games here, uh, both these home games. I, I think Daniel Hunter has been, at worst, fine. Like, I don't see this four-man front as, like, a problem area on the defense, really. I, I see the coverage as a catastrophe area, and that is going to affect the pass rush because you can't get the ball out quickly if no one's open. But when everyone's open, it's really easy to just fire it off, um, especially when you can just run a spot route into the hole in the zone and fire 12 yards right away, pitch and catch. It's really hard to get home. Um, you know, you might have this sense of, man, Jared Goff kind of ran around a lot. He kind of broke the pocket, ran, found an open guy. Well, he had to run away from the pocket for a reason. And he also could find an open guy for a reason. Um, so I emphatically coverage. I, the coverage has been a catastrophe. And the only way to fix mm -hmm. it is to just kind of keep working and just kind of keep marching forward, which sucks. Or if Donatel wants, you can kind of hit the nuke button and just become a crazy blitz defense and just live all or nothing. Maybe that's better. Or giving up 24 points a game and saying we can win those is okay. I don't know. Yeah, I was yeah. able to find uh, the, the blitz numbers, by the way. It is the highest blitz percentage the Vikings have put up this year. It was still like 10 total blitzes on 42 dropbacks. So it is one of the lower, uh, you know, blitz percentages uh, across the league in the NFL in week three again. So it's a low blitz defense, but it was 23.8%, which is a little bit below league average. Compare that to the 15% average, or I, mean, I think it's a 10% average going into the game. 15% average over the course of three weeks. Um, and honestly, I think that that actually relates to Luke's point about, you know, how coverage is kind of the defining issue here because the Vikings are not having that much issue getting into the quarterback's face. Whether that is a pressure or not, the Vikings' pressure rate is about league average, but uh, quarterbacks like Jared Goff and Aaron Rodgers and Jalen Hurts have been getting rid of the ball quickly against the Vikings, which is a good thing. It means shorter passes, but those passes are being completed. Now, if they can cloud up 
that coverage, those will turn into sacks or they'll turn into interceptions or something like that. But the issue is not in the pass rush. The issue is not in the blitz percentage um, because they're getting in there. They're defeating blockers. They're finding ways into the pocket, forcing quarterbacks off their spot. Um, the only reason it's, it's a low sack rate and an average pressure is because the coverage is not holding up to turn that effort into something meaningful. Through two and it weeks. lowers the bar for what that <clears throat> coverage needs to be. Like you, mm-hmm. you don't need to cover for as long when there is pressure. So that if there's a case for optimism, it's that they don't have to get that much further. It's like that much less that they have to develop in their like zone passing skills, but they have to be better than the catastrophe than they are right now. Yeah. So the stat I'm sitting on here for the, through two weeks, the Vikings were sixth in points allowed 29th in yards allowed after three weeks, 10th in points allowed, 30th in yards allowed so there's something unsustainable about the way that it's going right now crazy things are happening like teams failing on fourth down in the red zone or at the goal line like the Packers did the Lions missing a couple field goals and failing on fourth down uh Philadelphia throwing an interception like it's just some some bizarre things that probably won't happen all season long and and when you look to the coverage Luke Inman is there a player that you feel is getting victimized most, or is this schematic? Because last year you point to Alexander and Breland, you know, those were the targets. Is there a target that's actually standing out to you, or do you think this is kind of on Donatel and just on the technique to get shored up? Well, I think it's more on Donatel. If you had to make me pick one, I'm leaning more Donatel. But again, we knew heading into the year, yeah, it's it, it was a little bit more easy to be optimistic when you looked at the talent on paper. Remember, they were without Harrison Smith yesterday too. But uh, I think we knew going in that we needed to be cautiously optimistic <clears throat> about uh, the, the talent at cornerback. I mean, Patrick Peterson, he had a solid game yesterday. All in all, made some big plays on critical downs, uh, third down specifically a few times late in the game. But um, between him and then Cam Dantzler's third year, Chandon Sullivan, we knew he was let go for the Packers for a reason. Um, there was just a lot of question marks. And then they draft Andrew Booth Jr. And we haven't seen him yet. So I think they desperately need Andrew Booth Jr. on the field. And they not only need him on the field just for some fresh legs, but uh, they need him to play well. Like they need a little bit more uh, youth uh, into this uh, kind of secondary right now. And, you know, I think it's, again, I'm leaning more Donatel, but I think at the end of the day, we kind of knew this going in here, Sam, that this secondary was never going to be their strong suit. And there was going to be games and moments throughout the year, probably specifically early on, that they would probably get picked apart a little bit until they prove otherwise. All right, we got to talk about Campbell's Gambles uh, here on the Minnesota Football Party. Also, make sure to comment down below what you thought of Campbell's Gambles because for most of that game, I agreed with Dan Campbell's decision-making. I, in fact, was infatuated with Dan Campbell's decision-making. Fourth and five, fourth and six at midfield, and it even seemed like Kevin O'Connell, in response to Dan Campbell, was making those type of decisions. I think O'Connell went for it on fourth and six on the touchdown drive, which is great. That's awesome. So for Campbell, then on fourth and one, at the biggest moment of the game, to sort of reverse course and kick a 54-yard field goal to go up by six, just mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And if even if he does the conservative thing and punts and tries to pin the Vikings inside the 10, I'm not sure that they tie that game or win. Kirk Cousins oftentimes spends way too many seconds passing the ball over the middle 
Like you said, no timeouts. Kirk probably feels a little more flustered near his own end zone. I think that would have been a better play than kicking the field goal. Um, does anybody want to stand on a table for Dan Campbell and defend that decision, or is everyone in agreement that that just that sucked? Yeah, kicking. Was oh, bad. it super sucked. Yeah, uh, I think every analytical breakdown that you can find would would tell you that it was a, a pretty bad decision. It was a swing of, uh, of of like something like eight to ten percentage points in, in win probability. Um, mm. Probably more once wow. you account for the fact that the field goal was missed. And I think uh, you should account for that, not because you can always anticipate whether or not you're going to make or miss a field when you make these decisions, but because the way Campbell played out some of these fourth downs is that he was waiting until the final moment to rush his special teams out onto the field, which decreases the probability that they'll do what you want them to do, especially on a delicate operation like a field goal kick, right? Like we saw this actually twice, and I don't think it's been talked about very much, where uh, two times Campbell was bluffing to get a fourth down out there, right? To have the fourth down offense out there. And then at the last moment switched in either the punt team or the field goal team. And when he switched in the punt team at the last moment, that led to a delay of game penalty. When he switched in the field goal team at the last moment, the latest kick that increases your odds of missing the kick, keeping that offense out there only to have the field goal unit come on. So um, it wasn't just that he, he made a bad decision, he did. He made a bad decision worse by trying to play these these kind of weird games about what you can do and what you what you don't need to do. So that's part of it. Uh, also, even his most aggressive decisions that he made early in the game were analytically sound. So it is very, and I don't think he's doing it because it's analytically sound. I think it's like ethos as a football coach, which I very much enjoy. Um, but even his most aggressive ones, it, this is how miscalibrated the NFL is on fourth downs. The stuff that we perceive to be the most aggressive or the stuff that, you know, over time is the best decision from uh, a data perspective. And we're just kind of so broken that we're like the fourth and five from the midfield. He's going for it. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. And it's like, well, yeah, or you could punt and get like 20 net yards. Like that's sound <laughs> very, you know, football guy to me. So it, it's cool that he does that. And, and it gets really annoying when he moves away from it to do something that even to him, you know, after the game, he was like, it was kind of a cowardly decision. So, um, it was it was frustrating just because I want to see somebody like Dan Campbell succeed, somebody who makes the right decisions, but not because he's a nerd, but because he just loves playing football that way. Um, and and unfortunately, not only did he make the wrong decision, he makes. Is that your support dog? Did you bring I your think it's like, your support dog I think with one you? One of these trolleys, because this keeps happening, and it's the exact same bark each time. So that means it's probably not a dog. But I think it's, a, it's just like a trolley been moving back and forth here that just makes that noise like with its Tell wheels. Tell Fido that you're on a podcast. I'll do my best. <laughs> I was because like even if you make that kick, you're up six points, and then you give the Vikings the ball back. Still a one score game. Still one drive. Need to stop mm -hmm. a touchdown. It like doesn't change the calculus all that much to make that kick, which is I think a big part of why all the analytic models are gonna not be as big a fan of it. And then if you miss, it's worse than going for fourth down and not getting it because the kick backs you up. So like just like primo the worst possible option. I could be talked into punting there, trying to pin them. You know, if you get the Vikings pinned behind the ten yard line and they have to go the mm -hmm. length of the field in a in a minute with no timeouts and you know knowing who Kirk Cousins is, I could be talked into that. I think going for it's probably the right move. Because this is kind of who Campbell is. You could tell he came into this game saying, we're going for everything. 
because we're going to treat third down like second down. And they play, I mean, they, they ran the ball on like a third and seven once. Like they treated third down like second down, knowing mm-hmm. that they're going to go for the fourth down if it's even yeah. remotely reasonable to, mm-hmm. as long as it's not fourth and 12. Um, and they, I, I think Campbell maybe got a little caught up in the moment and then started thinking a little too situationally and sort of lost sight of the, we're just going to go for everything, live or die by it because we're the Lions, we're underdogs all the time, this is how we win games. That's why I think Campbell's so perfect for the Lions. Um, And I I hope to see that continue. I love this for them. I I hope to see them just be this YOLO team that just goes for everything. Screw it. And and some days, they're going to miss five of six of them and get blown out. And that's just like how you live. But I think they've made the choice to live like that. I think that's pretty cool. Luke's right. I think they got the right recipe. It didn't pan out this time. Hopefully he learns from his mistakes and moves on, but they got the right recipe, man. And that's why it was so disheartening and just a a, a blow to the gut for the defense when they were churning out four or five yards on every first down, because you could almost see and know exactly what was going to happen. They were getting getting that third and short situation. And if they didn't get it, they were going to go for it on fourth down. And that's why this great offensive line, they've invested all these early picks in, and they got a great one-two combo with Jamal Williams and obviously DeAndre Swift. Jamal specifically yesterday was really bully. I mean, bully ball. We hear it all the time. We heard it in hard knocks, and now we're seeing it. We saw it up close and personal yesterday. And when they went for it on fourth down, uh, outside of the end there, I mean, they did it with authority. They were punching the Vikes D in the face, knocking the wind out of them. It's so disheartening to give up one fourth down, but 30-yard strike to Amon St. Brown on fourth and five. That drive results in a touchdown. Fourth and one. Not like bring out the chain gang here. We got to measure. No, six Mm -hmm. yards just right up the gut by Jamal Williams. Bully ball, same drive, another fourth and one. Play action, working off that uh, Jamal Williams rush. They go play action this time, keeping them off balance. Josh Reynolds, 17-yard gain. That drive ended in a Hawkinson touchdown. Fourth and two, Reynolds again, 16 yards. At the end, though, again, like everybody's mentioned here, when it really mattered, fourth and one. Um, obviously Vikes D came up huge stopping Williams. And then maybe you saw Campbell getting his head a little bit, get cold feet. He goes with the field goal decision. Um, if I was a Lions fan though, I'd rather have it that way than the other way being playing too conservative. Um, obviously we know Campbell screwed up this one. He wussed out, but credit to the Vikings too, for taking advantage. I will say though, just as a whole, this Lions team, right? I mean, Vikings, I think all time records like 80, 40 and two, they've kind of dominated this series. And the seven games leading up to this one, excuse me, before Dan Campbell took over, they had won all seven. They were seven in a row with an average win margin of 13.1 points per game. I mean, they're winning by two touchdowns every game. Dan Campbell shows up last year. Vikings have won by two points, two points. They lost by two points. And now they won by four points yesterday. So again, if you're a Lions fan, I think you can feel this thing is headed in the right direction. This seems like a different Lions team just overall. That's a great note by Luke. And, Matt Patricia, bad coach. Um, yep. But and the thing that separates Campbell from someone like Harbaugh right now is that Harbaugh has a code. like this. He has a compass that guides him on fourth down, and he's not going to waver from it. And, Luke, you said it. He got spooked by the fourth and one failure, it seems like. Didn't want to fail twice in a row, so he kicked the field goal, and he regretted it. And I said this on the postcast with Luke Braun. He's the blackjack player who doesn't know what to do on 16. He's kind of going with whatever he feels like, and he's switching his, changing his mind. The table and hates him. So you one time commit. he'll randomly, 
I had a guy on Twitter, my buddy Sam, who told me, yeah, sometimes he just randomly stays on 14. Like, he just doesn't <laughs> quite have a code that's Sick. etched in stone yet. And that's going to frustrate fans. So I think the aggressiveness gene is there. But he's got to mm. have some kind of moral compass around it for how he's going to handle those situations game in and game out. Because if next time, you know, he goes for it in that situation and misses – Fans are going to be upset he didn't kick a field goal. Like some, he, you can't win unless you kind of have something that uh, defines you. Arif, anything left on the uh, on the Campbell discussion? No, I don't think so. I think that uh, you all covered it pretty well. I really like, you know, what Inman had to say about how you know he seems to be the right coach for the right team, and how you can get a lot out of a unit with with the way that Campbell coaches, how he wants to coach, and what his philosophy is. And the thing is, you I mean, like, a lot of it is, like, he comes off as a meathead. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, he kind of is. Um, but, like, one of the things that, that very much seems um, positive about him is is not just that he, like, very deeply cares about his players and very deeply cares about kind of the mission that he's on to, to, to win football games, which doesn't sound like a super noble mission, but, like, within a, in a facility certainly is. Um is, is that he's very responsive, right? You know, when things are not working out with players, he's talking to them to try and figure out why that's the case. I mean, a big part of why Ben Johnson is such a good coordinator is, A, he promoted Ben Johnson basically partway through the season in response to player frustration, right? But B, Ben Johnson himself is also very collaborative. I mean, there's a lot of elements of the Jared Goff Rams offense and what the Detroit Lions are doing, and that's because... Ben Johnson is talking um, to people like Jared Goff. He's talking um, to people uh, like um, Josh Reynolds to make sure that, you know, everything they have here and working together and they're responsive to what the players are doing. And so, yeah, he might not come off as like the smartest guy in the room, but that's not what makes the best head coach. The best head coach is the one that makes the best decisions. And you do that through a variety of ways. And he's using his resources really intelligent at the same time, inspiring his guys. So, I like him a lot. We're going to kind of see if he ever develops a consistent, you know, decision-making framework. I don't know. Maybe he won't. That's kind of fun for me. But, uh, you know, for the moment, it, it's kind of cool to see, you know, where this goes. Uh, we've got plenty more to get to, including a four-minute drill, Dalvin Cook's injury, and a gambling update. But speaking of gambling, this show is brought to you by BetOnline.net. It's your source for all sports wagering info. Looking ahead to London. Vikings on betonline.net favored by three over under of 44 so the Vikings are field goal favorites betonline.net you can get NFL lines NCAA football lines MMA boxing and golf it's all there and it is your top source for all sports wagering info get up to the minute developments matchups news and podcasts betonline.net use your laptop mobile device whatever you have to learn more about the trends Bet online where the game starts. Four-minute drill time, fellas. I want you to make a case for the Vikings record at the bye. They're 2-1. and one. They've got New Orleans, Chicago, and Miami on the road right before the bye week. Uh, Luke Inman, we'll start with you. Put a minute on the clock. Thank you for that, Luke Inman. We'll let you make a case. The Vikings record at the bye. 
Yeah, I'm just kind of honing in on this next game here at London versus the Saints. When I talked about the schedule before the year, I said, watch out, pump the brakes a little bit. I know Luke Braun mentioned this as well. Because these first four games, not easy. There's a legitimate chance of being two and two, maybe one and three. Now we're here. Worst they can be is obviously two and two, obviously. I'll say this, though. I don't know how good the Saints are going to end up being at the end of the year. I know they had a lot of expectations going into the season. But right now, as we sit here today, Saints are not playing good football at all. Jameis Winston dealing with a serious back injury, affecting the entire team. Defense, still solid. It's got a lot of talent offensively. Mike Thomas is back. Chris Olave is legit. You know Kamara can go off at any given moment. But their offensive line, severely banged up. And when you got a pocket passer like Jameis, who's hobbling around right now, needs protection, it's just a, been a recipe for disaster thus far. Injury report's going to be huge this week, I think. If the Saints are missing multiple offensive linemen, Jameis isn't 100%, which I doubt he will be. Vikes, I think, got a great shot flying back from home from London, 3-0 and all-time in London, and sitting at 3-1 and after this week. What about the bye week record? Well, I'm worried about Miami, obviously. Um, I'm going to say, I'll say 5-2. and two. Is that right? What have they got? Six games? Four and two? So five, they'd be four and two. Okay. This is going great. Yep. Sounds good. Arif, you're up. <laughs> that was a really good breakdown of the Saints game. There's two more games on the schedule until we get to the bye. Uh, no, I think the Vikings are a better team than the Saints. Uh, I think the Vikings sorry, are. Luke. Uh, <laughs> I think the Vikings are uh, a better team than uh, than the Bears, and I think the Vikings will get blown out by the Dolphins. So, uh, you know, I guess that's probably two more wins and one more loss. They'd be four and two, but it really feels like walking backwards into four and two. Obviously, you know, this Vikings team is liable to just kind of break your heart, and so I could see them kind of just fumbling against the Saints. The thing about the Saints is that. Um, they've got a bunch of talented players, like Luke said. They're just not coherent right now. They don't, they're not on the same page. If that suddenly happens while they're in London, I don't think the Vikings have any recourse. I think they'll get blown out of the water. So I do think that they're likely to win next two and then lose the third one uh, to be four and two. But I think that that's a very precarious situation, uh, and they could really fumble the bag. All right, so we've got a four and two, a four and two. Luke Braun, are you going to vary from chalk here? Yeah, I'm going to be a hater. Uh, so I, I think we all kind of agree Miami tough game bears, not as tough of a game. And it all kind of comes down to what we think of this saints game, but here's the deal. Part of what is sinking the saints is all of these James Winston interceptions and the Vikings defense is in such a bad way right now that they are sort of a get right kind of unit. Uh, I don't know if they are good enough at, at positioning themselves to take advantage of the bad decisions that Jameis Winston tends to make. I don't think that they're in the right spots enough. Um, and so I, I'm worried about this Saints game. Now, they, there's a lot more wrong with the Saints than that, and so I could just as easily see them winning this one as losing it, and they are favored in it. But for the sake of being different, I'll say that they're three and three because also even if they win this Saints game, nothing is stopping them from totally falling apart and dropping a stupid one to the Bears. We know that they are capable of that as bad as the Bears are. Uh, they're capable Famous. of losing to the Saints, losing to the Bears, and then beating the Dolphins. Three and three. And it'll make no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Football's weird. Um, I was going to be the hater, Luke Braun, so you took that role from me. Ha! I was also going to kind of bring into question whether this Saints game is really a gimme or not. <clears throat> Obviously, the playing field is pretty level in a neutral site. Both teams have to travel overseas. 
Don't know how the Saints are handling their travel. I do find it a little curious. The Vikings are flying out Thursday night and needing only, really, they have two days to basically get their, their body clocks right. Maybe that's a little overrated. But Bears game, I think you have to pencil in as a win if you want to be taken seriously. Miami is going to be really difficult. They'll probably be four-point underdogs in that one. Um, but Jameis Winston is bad right now. And I, I do think the Vikings have a great chance to win the game. I just don't. I'm picking them to lose. I'm picking them to lose the game right now. I might change my mind uh, as the week goes on. But I think three and three at the bye. And like I mentioned, there's some unsustainable things going on, like opposing kickers, missing field goals, um, you know, missing on fourth downs. Like they, the 30th in yards will catch up to the Vikings at some point. Um, so we got a couple three and threes, a couple four and twos. Uh, watch the Vikings go five and one at the bye and make us all look silly. And Dalvin Cook's role as well. You know, you mentioned injury report, Luke Inman. Dalvin Cook's probably going to be on that injury report with a shoulder injury that knocked him out of yesterday's game. Uh, the early season Dalvin injury, unfortunately, is an annual tradition. First of all, Luke, do you want to see Dalvin Cook try to play through this pain on Sunday um, after a pretty effective game? Or would you rather see him sit and bring in a Chandler or a Wang Wu to get more involved? You know, it's tough without knowing the severity of it. Personally, just sitting here today on Monday morning, I would say just pump the brakes. Uh, it's almost like we talked about Justin Herbert. Why Why would you suit him up knowing the injuries that he's dealing with with the ribs and risk your entire season? Uh, Matt Hasselbeck said he played with that injury. He goes, I wish I wouldn't have played because it lingered the entire season. Obviously, this is a different situation here with Dalvin, but I would say pump the brakes. You've got great depth. We knew it going in that uh, Madison and Kenny Nwangu, we haven't even seen Ty Chandler active yet. They could probably carry the load as we've seen Madison do quite a bit. And, you know, you mentioned like this is the yearly thing with Dalvin. It's happened versus the Lions too. Remember in 2017, week four, he tore his ACL. They lost that game 14-7 versus the Lions. Case Keenum ends up going up, what, 11-12 and 12 the next 12 games. Uh, or excuse me, they went 9-1, and one, I think, in the next 10 mm -hmm. games there. Um, I don't know. I, I would say pump the brakes, Sam. I really would. Knowing the depth that they have, um, I would say, uh, you know, try to ease up on Delvin. Give him the proper time to rest. And you want him back at 100%. Yeah. The Dalvin, I hate making light of this because getting hurt is no fun. No one wants to see NFL players get hurt. But the Dalvin injury-fumble combo is is such a thing. <laughs> and I feel like it happens also when he's trying to play hurt. Um, and his effectiveness goes down so much. Like if you look at the past three years where we all agree he's been playing banged up. Got hurt versus Denver in 2019. Next five games, 3.2 yards per carry, 3.4 yards per carry, 3.0 yards per carry, inactive, inactive. 2020, Hurt versus Seattle, final seven games, 4.2 yards per carry. Last season, Hurt early in the year in the Arizona game, had seven games under four yards per carry, and then four separate games missed along the way. And they really never saw the healthy Dalvin Cook. So I'm of the opinion that they need to take a different, more cautious approach and make sure he gets healthy. Because I, so if you look through his game logs too, like coming off of missed games or, or games where he got hurt, Mike Zimmer was letting him rush the ball 32 times. That's so like antithetical to the approach you would want with a running back, um, especially someone with the, the amount of tread on Dalvin's tires. 
So, Arif, uh, what's your take on, on Dalvin right now? Yeah, I think that, like, the reason that you'd want uh, somebody like Dalvin to play is, and I know this sounds really dumb, is because he can help the football team win games. And you're not getting Dalvin Cook the playing you're getting when he's playing hurt, like you said. And I think that, you know, we can make a distinction between the types of injuries he suffers and what happens when, when he plays through those injuries. Because I thought the ankle injuries really limited his burst, and I thought it made him a much worse running back, whereas the shoulder injuries made it much more likely uh, that he was going to fumble, right? And so I think that maybe those, there's some differences there. Whew. We lost him. Don't love this New York air. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think that uh, there's not really much of a reason. Madison is an effective back. You're not going to get the explosive runs from him. You may have to mix in you know, somebody like Wangwu or Chandler to really get the full running game, but <laughs> bless you. I don't like talking about running backs, man. This is just what happens. Doesn't uh, it look like a reef is, is broadcasting from a cloud or like heaven? Like it looks like he's just in this angelic realm <laughs> with this like halo. I, I know I'm going to get like the, the YouTube comments, like a reef just figured out a better background, but like I'm in an airport. I don't want to violate anybody else's privacy. This is the only place I can find where there's not going to be anybody else in the shot. So, uh, Stick it up your craw, YouTube comments. Uh, no, but I, I, I think that <laughs> you're going to get a uh, – I don't even read the – I don't even know if the comments are mean, right? Like, I have no idea. Um, Probably. But I, I think – If not, they should Yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, they're YouTube comments, right? Yeah. They're meaner I mean, they, on they Twitter be. than YouTube. YouTube's pretty nice. Really? For now. Oh, wait. Those are, we got, we need to get those numbers up, right? We got to get, we yeah. gotta get some haters going on the YouTube channel. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I think that uh, – you're not getting as much from a running back in that scenario. So, like, why why play through injury? Because the the difference between, and I don't think Justin Herbert should have played, but the difference between, you know, Justin Herbert and Chase Daniel is enormous. Even an injured Justin Herbert is significantly better than Chase Daniel. The difference between Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison is not trivial. Injured Dalvin Cook and a healthy Alexander Madison are not that far apart. So I don't really understand why you would want to like the whole reason the Vikings didn't trade Madison is this exact scenario. Now make good on the phantom third round pick you gave up or fourth round pick or whatever, and just play Alexander Madison. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Yeah. Luke Braun, your thoughts Madison's on this? Madison's been playing pretty well, right? Like he has. Yeah. Am, am I out of line? This is the best we've no. seen from Alexander Madison. I, and I feel like he's been, no, no, his rookie plays year well. was better. But rookie it, but year was pretty good. His rookie year was better. Yeah. He looks like yeah, he's playing but, for but, a job. He he knows he was yeah, almost traded, right, yeah. and he looks he looks. Yeah, you're right. Maybe rookie year was I, I, better on paper. Yeah, you're right. Go ahead. But this and is more the best yards of carry. And more specifically, I think what we've seen from Madison for most of his career, he tries to bounce and get the edge so often, mm-hmm. and he can't because like he's not Dalvin Cook, but he tries to be Dalvin Cook. And in, in this one, he has not been trying to bounce things outside nearly as much. He's just been going straight up and down. He can juke a guy, make a guy miss, but more importantly, he can bowl through you. That touchdown run was a, like, that is Madison. That's who Madison should be. Um, and I think he's been a little more disciplined about that. And then plus he's just showcased, like, better vision. And that helps me make this decision a little bit, right? Like, yeah, I don't necessarily need to – take the devil's bargain of Dalvin cook. Is he going to get a shoulder hurt fumble again and then leave the game? And now he's out for six weeks when I feel like I can trust Alexander Madison a lot more than I kind of felt 
like I could for the last couple years. And that makes this a, a, a whole lot easier. Like this is, this should be fine. Honestly. Yeah. Put Madison in, let the, get, the dude get healthy. Cook with 16 career fumbles now after yesterday's, does anyone want to gander how many fumbles as a Viking Adrian Peterson had? I do not. Uh, no, but I'm going to guess that Adrian fumble percentage is only slightly higher than Dalvin Cook's, right? Because I think Adrian Peterson's percentage is going to 2.4, 2.5% was one of the highest in the league. Dalvin is like 1.92%, not including the last fumble, last I looked. So it's actually not that significantly far apart, and it is one of the higher fumble rates in the league. I don't know what happens when you take out the fumbles where he's injured, though. Yeah, well, well I think that has to count. Right. I mean, that has to be part of the equation. So the, the stats on that, Arif, and no, no one's going to guess the number on Peterson. Luke Inman, play along. Guess the 70, 73. <laughs> Love it. That's a lot of, it's a lot of fumbles. Yep. Um, 39 fumbles as a Viking. Now, per touch. Felt like 73, though, didn't it? Felt like about 73, though. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, you're, and you're hey, not it wasn't the the playoff. It wasn't including postseason. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's at least four. And that Seattle fumble counts for three. Yep. <laughs> playoff fumbles count for three, and there were three against the Saints, and then one against Seattle. So per touch, Adrian Peterson fumbled one in sixty-eight touches. Dalvin Cook has fumbled one in seventy-eight touches in his career. How's that for a little nerdy stat of the day? Mm. He's got to walk around home with a Yeah, football. there you go. Yeah, why am I the one wearing glasses? You should be the one wearing the specs, man. What should we do now? Um, oh, Lewis Seen didn't start. Josh Metellus got to start in front of Lewis Seen. Is there any reason to panic? Arif, since you're not muted, go ahead and talk. I, I just muted myself, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I, panic is maybe not the word I would use, but, you know, a couple of weeks ago I said, we need to already begin this conversation about whether or not Lewis Seen's actually good at football. Uh, not because he can't push Cameron Bynum, who's, who's playing well, but he can't push for playing time. Now, I know about the knee, right? But, like, if the Vikings are not willing to deploy some really interesting three safety sets, especially against, you know, Philadelphia, where uh, with a running quarterback, there could have been a lot of opportunities to put more speed on the field, take Jordan Hicks out, put Lewis Seen in. They're not willing to experiment with that. I think that tells us a little bit about, you know, who Seen is and, and what he's going to do. And now we have a stark, you know, uh, a change in our perception of him because he was not the next person up. They didn't even split. I actually didn't look at the snap counts, but it, I didn't think did. Lewis Seen saw. Yeah, they didn't even split no, any time. Yeah, mm -hmm. so 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 zero to one snaps is my guess. Um, but, you know, Lewis Seen didn't see any time as as one of the two deep safeties. It is a good time to have that conversation. We generally do not treat safeties like we treat cornerbacks, where, you know, a cornerback, you know, maybe it takes a year or two, right? Like Jeff Okuda uh, is, is right now kind of benefiting from, like, the, the two-year kind of grace period we give cornerbacks. We're very familiar with that with the Vikings. We don't generally do that for safeties. Maybe we should. I don't know. Maybe he turns into a good pick. But right now, I think we can conclude that at the moment, he's bad at football. Doesn't mean he's a bad pick. Doesn't mean he'll continue to be bad at football. But... It tells us, hey, I, for a team that, that wants to win right now, to use your first-round pick on a position where you didn't need to draft the safety, right? And now that safety is not currently good at football. Uh, I mean, there's some, there's some pretty serious questions there. Hmm. 
I can't bring myself to hit any kind of panic button on a rookie before like Halloween of his rookie year. Like this just happens. It's sometimes it takes some guys some time to get used to the speed of the game. And like, yeah, putting him in would be bad because he's not used to the speed of the game. But like, there are problems that, that get fixed with experience. And there are problems that don't, you know, Garrett Bradbury doesn't gain weight with experience, right? That's not something that you sit him for eight more weeks and he was actually going to be better. But the like with Lewis seen or with other rookies that, you know, sat for the first six weeks, like Brian O'Neill or Justin Jefferson didn't know the playbook till like halfway through the season, according to Kirk cousins. Um, and so the, his usage was like sort of defined by that. And yeah, he got in on the game, obviously way different thing, but like everyone's kind of on their own path. And from what I saw in preseason of Lewis seen from what we saw on camp of Lewis seen, he was late to a lot of stuff. He was making the right reads, but he was a little slow to do it. And that means, he, you know, the game needs to, to use a cliche. The game needs to slow down for him. Once it does, he will be fine. And I, the Vikings did experiment with three safety looks and, and even, I think, a four safety look, Arif said once, right? So, like, they, the way they behaved before the season tells me that they do have some kind of thing in mind. They've also mentioned, yeah, his injury kind of put his development behind. So, you know, we just got to wait for it. Um I don't know. I feel like I'm always preaching patience when it comes to rookies, like constantly, but I'm going to do it again. Give it Mm -hmm. some. Remember KJ Osborne. Remember KJ Osborne. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see him him on the field. Like, let's see what happens when he does get on the field. He's not going to never play. He's going to get on the field someday. Let's see what that looks like. Yeah. The the Vikings have not deployed a three safety look one time this year, have they? Or correct me if I'm wrong. Have they? Don't think so. Uh, Not as far as I can tell. So, yeah, I mean, if you were at training camp, if you're at practice during maybe one time, okay, if you're at training camp, if you're there during practice during the week, it's not surprising not to see him out here because, again, he's been with the twos the entire time. So you're not going to all of a sudden on Sunday see him with the ones. Uh, The the focal point is more, is it concerning? And and why isn't he with the ones? And and obviously we don't know what the coaches are seeing. Luke mentioned, um, you know, you were out at camp and stuff. He did maybe look a little bit slower there. Uh, No panic button yet for sure. But um, maybe is this more of, you know, uh, Donatel, again, simply needs to switch things up and get to some of those sub packages. And when he does deploy a three safety look, when Harrison Smith's healthy, is it going to be Harry? Bynum and Metellus, or is it going to be seen in the mix? If he's not in the mix in the three safety look, maybe we see it this week. Finally, some new wrinkles here in this Ed Donatel defense. Then I will start to be a little bit more concerned, but certainly not the start that you want. You always want these rookies to come out and splash right away. Um, but uh, I'm not hitting the panic button quite yet. All right, Arif, I know you got to run here. Um, let's quickly get a gambling update and then party fouls for the group. Gambling at football is hard, fellas. Um, nobody went 2-0 and this week. I went 1-1. One and one. Ravens covered. Chiefs Colts, Colts went under instead of over. But we have some epic bad beats. Luke, over 52.5. Vikings-Lions, ouch. Ouch. Was it 52 goes, on the dot? It goes 52. I, I thought it was – wasn't it 51 on the <laughs> I lost on a Kirk what, Cousins completion. What, what, wasn't it – you sure it was 51? Come on, no, I'm man. dead serious. I, thought it was I forgot what the score was. I needed a reminder. <laughs> well, it might have ended at 51, but it we we locked you into 52 and a half. The the it doesn't lie. I mean, I would never make a mistake with typing, right? So that was a bad beat. And then Hassan, 
Raiders-Titans under 45 and a half. It goes 46. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm so glad I never remember my bet so I can react in real time. But it, it, I don't feel as screwed <laughs> finding out afterwards and finding out live. So I guess there's also that. It was a two-point conversion. It came down to a two-point conversion. Luke Braun, oh, your own oh, one. Oh, really? Oh, now I feel super. Yeah. Yeah, Braun's 0-1. He has Giants-Cowboys tonight, needing over 39. So not a lot of movement except Arif kind of plummeting and Luke Braun plummeting further. Luke Inman and I at the top. Party fouls. Um, Arif, since you have to board a flight, we will let you go first after we run the animation. Uh. I didn't think of a party foul beforehand, so I'm just going to go with party foul Dan Campbell. I can't believe you did the thing that we talked about for about 20 minutes. <laughs> Don't do that next time. Be better about it. That's my party foul. Now none of you can Be take. better. I love it. <laughs> I'm taking Jimmy Garoppolo. He Orlovsky. Get out of here. What are you doing? Know where the back end line of the, the end six. zone is. Come on, man. Safety and he threw a pick six cerebral. on the same yeah. It was cerebral. Yeah. <laughs> Saved the he pick got a six. safety. I was legitimately was at the Orlovsky game, though, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Never forget the safety it. was a blessing. <laughs> yeah, the, the most fortuitous of safeties. Get out of here, Jimmy G. Come on, man. You're not helping your trade value. Hey, did anybody see Dalvin when he scored the touchdown run over to the fans and and totally juke him out like he was going to hand him the ball? Two Vikings fans. And then all of a sudden, right at the last second, turned around and ran away with the ball. <laughs> I was like, no. Yeah, you gotta, if, you, if, if you didn't see it, you got to go back and watch it. Because Why is this a I just look at it up right now? Oh, dude, it, it just hurt my heart. Jeez. It's like, I'm sure these two people drove all the way down from like Bemidji and now they're here and they splurged the extra money on the front row seats. And oh my God, Dalvin scored right next to us. Oh my God, he's going to give us the ball. Oh. Jukes us out and runs away after, after literally, oh. hey, here you go. You want this? No, I don't think so. And it just didn't make sense Oof. to me. Elite it's, it's not Lions fans. There's two Vikings it. fans. Um, I love it. Fault, Dalvin. What are you doing? Hand it off. I think he gave it to Ed Ingram for the spike, too. He, like, wanted the rookie to... Maybe he changed his, his mind at the last spike. second, but yeah. it looked like a dirty move there for a second. Dirt? Yeah, that's that's rough. Uh, my party foul, the halftime performance at U.S. Bank Stadium, Frisbee catching dogs. But the throwers of the Frisbee were like Kirk Cousins, and the dogs were like K.J. Osborne on the play that they missed, like the overthrow, where Osborne was wide open and had to dive. They couldn't connect with the dogs like the dogs are giving it their all and the frisbee throwers are overthrowing them just airmailing the frisbees give the dogs a chance give them a chance to make the play and they will make the play really got me got were me you and thomas never paid. were you and thomason sitting there at halftime griping about that to each other i bet well i have we, we never paid attention to what on. occurs yeah. during halftime because i'm like busy getting food so like I commend you for always being detailed enough to look at what's happening on the field, Sam. Wouldn't miss it. Luke, did you Wouldn't pull up it. the Dalvin touchdown? Did you see it? That's so egregious. That's on purpose for sure. That's sick. Dude. What are you doing? What's up? What did those fans what's do to you? <laughs> it would make sense if they're Alliance fans, but it's like two Vikings fans. Yeah. Literally just garbed out. He definitely just like purple. changed his mind. 
Yeah. But like, Dirty. at least it wasn't a kid. If it were a kid, that would have really sucked. But it was just like some adult. God, that would have ruled like... if it was a if it was a kid. Oh my God, that would have been amazing. <laughs> Arif, you're Dalvin sick. in the in the same you're same sick. camp as that I'm foul a ball bad guy. Person? We've established this multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> no, Embracing right. your super villain. Yeah. While speaking to us from I hope, a white I hope, void. I hope Delvin breaks more children's hearts. That would be great. I would, I would, that is the scenario in which I cheer for him to get contract extensions. <laughs> hearts broken per AAV. Yeah. yeah. Have Here's a, a blank check. Reef. All right. What's your beverage of choice? What do you, what do you get On to drink plate? when the drink cart comes by? Yeah. Dude, you know me. I get coffee, man. I'm broken. I'm broken. Yeah. It, it, it's you're not, not like there's not four Bloody Marys. anymore. Yeah. yeah, sometimes it's a Red Bull, you know, if I'm feeling wild. Mm. <laughs> He's on I that hope red they have good in-flight no. movie selection. Uh, thanks for calling in from the airport. He's Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network. Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk. Luke Braun, Lockdown Vikings and the Postcast. And I'm Sam Ekstrom. Ron Johnson Show and Lockdown Sports Minnesota in general. Um, endless Vikings talk with local experts. We're back on Thursday to preview Viking Saints. It's the Minnesota football party on Locked on Sports Minnesota. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.